Welcome to Campfire Football. I'm Sebastian North. This is episode 135. The Women's World Cup Review featuring Ronnie from the Footy Misfits podcast. What a month it was. Blew by. It was uh, very quick. I'd say a lot of the reason why is the game times in particular being in the Mountain Standard time. There were a lot of games in the middle of the night. And uh, I've been working. Lots of camps, high school tryouts, all that stuff. So I've been so busy that this was very difficult to keep up with the whole time. But it was fantastic. Best Women's World Cup I've ever seen. Congratulations to Spain, the winners. Enjoy this conversation. We basically just break everything down. Hopefully we cover the things that you found interesting as well. Enjoy. It's the Women's World Cup review, and we've got uh, that it is. and we've got a I mean, you know long time, long time trusted brother of the show here. Uh, yeah, Ronnie from the Footy Misfits, as they call him in his own crew, Mister Misfits himself is what I've as I've as I've come to realize. Ronnie, tell us about your experience with this Women's World Cup. Say hi and go into it if you want. Feel free to rant. <laughs> um, By the way, if he is wearing a Spain I jersey, would... I'm wearing an England jersey, so it's cool. We've got this, the final here balanced out. Um, congratulations to Spain for winning the Women's World Cup. Just go ahead and sit. Then the, dive in. Dive in. Yes, La Roja. Um, hey, man, once a Spanish team, once they made it to the final, I'm like, okay, I have my rooting interest. If Australia made the final, I would have been torn. But it was England. It made my decision very easy. Um this women's world cup best I've ever seen. And I had my fears that the expansion to 32 would dilute the competition. And I know we spoke about this when you uh, came on to preview with us, the relatively late start to the tournament, like clashing with the first couple of weeks of this European seasons would also like take the attention away. Admittedly, it did for a lot of people, but, like, not as much as I thought it would, to be honest. I Like, oh, the Premier League started. Yeah, we don't really care about that Women's World Cup anymore. It wasn't anything like that. And uh, I think Australia was, like, a very good case in point in that they stopped Australian rules football matches when Australia were in the penalty shootout against France. Sorry, by the way. Yeah, but, that, was, that was tough. <laughs> no, but, like, they legit stopped matches so everyone could watch those shootouts. Like, that, like, it's just so, it was a seminal moment. This World Cup really brought out the best in, I think, everybody that competed. We didn't get, like, a 13 nothing this World Cup. We got ass weapons here and there. But for the most part, everybody who was at the World Cup Played okay, win or lose. Like the one team that stood that stands out, Haiti. They kept England to a one nothing draw. I mean, one nothing result. The finalist, the eventual finalist, England, to a one nothing result. And then they did the same against Denmark and lost two nothing in China. The Philippines is another great story. A lot of players who. 
have some type of American roots, they got their first ever win against the hosts. So stories like that. And then as we get down to the tournament, just seeing like a lot of the heavy hitters not live up to that like title, I guess you can say. Germany crashing out of the group stage. Brazil. They were complete. Brazil crashing out of the group stage. Uh, the U.S. crashing out of the round of 16. And they were legit a goal off the bar away from getting crashed out of the group stage by Portugal. And, by the way, I think that people who think that the U.S. women are immune from criticism is crazy. It's hilarious. Um... And then just the fact that we have a first-time World Cup winner, it it goes to show you that the women's game has been growing immensely. Everyone has caught up to the U.S. I don't think we can say people are catching up to the U.S. I think we're caught up now. Yeah, I agree. <clears throat> Completely agree. We're definitely caught up. And um, again, so many great stories at this World Cup. I don't like just the fact that. Our, now, it's, it ended a couple hours ago. It's just like, damn. Now what? It flew by. I th- There was something about – because here's the thing. is It was the exact same format as the Men's World Cup, but it felt like it was one week shorter. Like it, it, would, like it felt like everything happened so much quicker. And maybe that's just because the games were in the middle of the night all the time uh, for us what, in the World U.S. Cup? Yeah. It just – like I, there was – like for instance, there was – um, there were games that were like, there was a, a group stage that was wrapped up or one of the groups was wrapped up with the simultaneous kickoffs already having been done before the mm. second match day. It was like group a was wrapped up before group H had played its second game or something weird like that. And it was just, yeah, there were just situations like that where, you know, all this, all this, the schedule was a little bizarre. Um, yeah. So it, it, it there were just things that. like that. Yeah. And I think they did have a couple days <laughs> with four games. So, um, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you. Look, best women's world cup ever. I was in France in 2019 for the women's world cup. And frankly, the French really did not do a very good job of promoting it. Um, my girlfriend and I went to Reims town that's about an hour and a half away but maybe an hour or so from paris um really pretty little town they have a league team if, if anyone remembers will still yep. the 30 year old manager this is the town stud this is the place that he manages at so just for the context and we saw the quarterfinal match or sorry round of 16 match between the united states and spain and it was funny because we got this Airbnb in town. It's this little apartment. And the guy who ran it out to us, he was like, so, well, you know, what? why is it that you're here? Uh, what brings you here? And we're like, oh, well, the Women's World Cup, there's a game here. And, this, and and he was like, really? I didn't know that. And the thing that was crazy is like in the train wow. station when you arrived, there wasn't really signage everywhere. It didn't feel like a massive event is coming to town, everybody, just so you know. More than half of the local population had no idea, and they were looking around, going, uh, "Why are there like hordes of like twelve-year-old American girls c- cruising our streets? Like, what is going on?" You know, 
because that's that's you know that's the fan base of the U.S. women. You just got like teams of like adolescent girls, huge groups, all rolling into the stadium together, screaming USA, big parade. All the French are like, "What is going on?" So, you know, I think that was a bummer that France didn't seize the opportunity, but I think that Australia clearly did. Um, sounds like yeah, everything I've heard, it sounds like the country was completely drawn into the magic of it. They completely supported um, it. I think the yeah. biggest bummer for Australia is that Sam Kerr didn't get to play until the end of the tournament because of injury. I mean, she is box office herself. So her not being able to participate with them from the very beginning is a bummer. It's just unfortunate. But they did a great account of themselves to get to a semifinal almost without her, right? Yeah. Uh, to tackle the the promotion aspect of it, uh, when we did our previews, the first we did uh, we did a preview with our friend Angelica, who is based in Sydney, and she would she told us that the promotion in Australia. Again, soccer isn't big in Australia uh, compared to rugby or Aussie rules football, but the promotion that's been getting has just been sensational. Like, there's signs plastered all over the streets of Sydney. And, like, the train stations, like, they say, okay, this is, like, there's a match happening here. Like, gridlock. And you could tell from, like, the... Uh, from the attendances at a lot of these matches, and um, and she actually uh, got to see some matches that featured Colombia, and I think apart from the Australians, Colombia had I think the best fan base at the World Cup. The way is there Colombians... just a massive Colombian diaspora in Australia? Because <laughs> I believe for, re- for real though, population. the game against Germany was, I mean, the the, the pressure cooker atmosphere. I was like, what is – and you could see the fans. I mean, people decked out in huge, wild outfits. No, literally. Like, it it felt like you were not in Sydney. You were in Bogota. Yeah. I mean, but I'm assuming there's a decent population of Colombians in Australia. And you could definitely tell there were some Colombians that made the trip. But, but still, the fact that they – those are some of the best crowds, games in which Colombia featured in. The game against England in in uh, Sydney, in the larger stadium, in uh, Stadium Australia, that had 75,000 people. It maxed out mostly uh, Colombian-supporting fans. <laughs> I, I don't know. It was it. just... <laughs> Go ahead. That's so funny. It's just so funny. It's like the Colombians were just going to pull up to every possible game they were, they might play in. <laughs> Literally, and if they would have made the final, it would have definitely felt like Barranquilla in that stadium. But, um, but yeah, the crowds were just amazing, and the promotion was really, really good. And, uh, like, even though, like, we're seeing on socials, like, there's that one video of everyone watching that Argentina-France shootout. And there's just one guy just watching Lord of the Rings. But um, everyone is watching it. Like, it, it captivated a whole nation. Um, in terms of the Matildas themselves, yeah, despite not having Sam Kerr for a good bulk of the tournament, uh, they were still pretty good. They were definitely 
I could definitely imagine there were people asking questions about uh, the team after losing to Nigeria. Um, asking, calling for Tony Gustafson's head or whatever the case may be. Um, but they were really good without Sam Kerr. I mean, you just look at some of the names who stepped up, like uh, Ford and Fowler and um, I like Razzo. and Steph Catley. Yep, Steph her Catley as well. I, I think Steph Catley in this interim period that Sam Kerr wasn't available, she took that team under her wing, made it her own in the meantime. And it goes to show you, like, you can't really build a team around one specific player. You have to have a whole collective. And for Australia, that's it, it worked out. Unfortunately, they don't have a medal to show for it. But they do have a proud nation, though, to show for it. So um, it would have definitely been great to see her much sooner. But... Amen. Well, she got an amazing moment, right? Scoring the goal against England was incredible. A banger. A banger. The the only thing that sucks is that like five minutes later, she gets an opportunity that we see her score all the time and put it over the bar. And it was like that was the moment to equalize it 2-2 because England had just taken the lead again. That would have equalized it 2-2. And who knows? At that point, the game can get screwy. Once England got the 3-1, it was obviously over. Um. Okay, how to how to approach this first? Well, no, let's just continue on this room. We're talking about nice stories, more in generals. We'll kind of uh, we'll reach Spain and England. We'll get to Spain and England, uh, and we'll talk about the final a little bit. But uh, one thing that you know, you mentioned the crowds. I think what was very clear was that Australia has more people to put in stadiums than New Zealand, right? Um, some of the games yeah. in New Zealand have pretty low turnouts. Uh, it's farther to get to for some places. It's a, you know another level of expense for some people to be able to go there. I heard the weather was significantly colder in New Zealand than it was in Australia. Um, oh, yeah, there were games where it was just like absolute pouring. Yeah, like I think Spain's first game against I think it was Costa Rica. It was just a downpour. Yeah, I think yeah, I think it was yeah. But either way, New Zealand. I think benefits as an, as a co-host here and hopefully, you know, having got a first win at the world cup for themselves and having, you know, had a noble group stage, um, you know, they, they finished third in their group uh, and they beat Norway who, well, you know, apparently that's not that big of a deal anymore, but it was important for them. And I just think that, yes, Australia and New Zealand really look like they've capitalized on this moment. Uh, Australia, obviously more so, for getting to the semifinal, yep. which I really did not expect them to do. I After they lost to Nigeria, I was like, okay, they're gone. But then they beat Canada 4-0, and that, I think, was really the big moment of the tournament. I think that's when, you know, because they, they smashed Canada, Olympic gold medalists. That gets yeah. them into the round of 16. And then it's like, okay, now it's knockout football. Anything can happen, right, as the group winner. And that, I think, was really one of the big moments that took them farther. Uh, Painfully for me, they beat France on penalties. Um, I'm, I'm, You know, that was disappointing from the perspective that France, I think, are a team that should have been 
pushing anyone who was going to win this tournament to the very edge. If they were going to lose, I would have hoped that they'd lose to a team that literally outplayed them. But Australia, they they did what they needed to do as hosts to go a long way. And, and I'm glad for them that they've embraced the moment because you know, these things are these yes. things are temporary pieces in time if you don't harness the energy gotten from this. The US did that well in '99. I think Japan did pretty well with that when they won the World Cup in 2011. They've been a very strong um they've just produced consistent talent. Um speaking of that, Hinata Miyazawa golden boot winner. So really, really, you know, at least good for Japan to get something there. Um I think they also won fair play, I think. Oh, as in not no yellow cards, like fewest yellow cards and red cards? Yeah, I believe if I saw the uh the list of awards correctly, Japan won the fair play. And uh while well, I looked that up, in terms of Australia, um I agree with what Tony Gustafson said. He he pretty much said along the lines of this uh what they've done is not the end of the road. It's more so the beginning. I think Australia, again, they would have to get there first, has a very good case of probably winning gold at next summer's Olympics. They, they, I would put them in as a favorite for, for Olympic gold. Yeah, I forget. There's some teams that are good that won't be there. Like, I don't think France are going to be there. I don't think they qualified for it. Um no, the European qualifiers didn't start yet. They're uh, the Nations League. There's a Women's Nation League coming up now, and uh, they're using that as like a qualifier. Okay. Well, look, I mean, it's it's clear that they're going to go somewhere with this. Australia is a country that you know they they have, you know, a very sort of even though it's in Asia essentially. Uh, yeah, Japan won know. the fair play. Okay, Japan did win the fair play. I, Australia is going to build from this. There's no doubt. I mean, I, I Sam yeah. Carr, Sam Kerr is the first of I think many big big time players we're going to see coming from that country in the years to come. So I think this is the announcement that they are around. Um, yeah. How about right how about how about teams that uh, any other teams that impressed you? Uh, I, I, look, I thought Haiti were going to get demolished. Uh, I was really, really impressed with Haiti being able to not just sort of they didn't do a Jamaica, right, where they just defended really, really stoutly and well. Like they actually they did the best they could to attack when they could and at times looked dangerous. I mean, they almost equalized with England late in that opening match. So I think that was one team that just like took me completely by surprise. Um, I was very impressed with Colombia. Did not think that they would be yeah. sort of as complete of a team. Uh, and I, I think I saw quality yeah, like, all over the field. And and I I wasn't expecting that, especially after hearing about the, like, absolute war that had to be ended early, the closed-door friendly with the Republic of Ireland, that they that – I was like, what kind of Columbia team are we about to see at this World Cup? And it was nothing like that, I, so. <laughs> I, I, I did not get that at all. Um but yeah, Colombia, like everyone was looking at Caicedo, and of course, like she's a baller at just 18, 19. But like you had your Lacey Santos, you had your Catalina Usmes, who were also pretty good. So, like, it was a total team effort for Colombia. They were just unfortunate in that a couple of defensive errors pretty much put them under the game against England. Yep. 
Yeah. If their defense that match were a bit more compact, they might be in the semifinal. And who knows what trajectory that would take for Colombia. But even then, like, what I also like is that the fact that some of these nations are receiving, like, warm welcomes when they come back home, it's just, it just goes to show you how far we've come. Like, when Panama, uh, they got back home. And again, they weren't... Uh, they weren't going to ever make it that far. But the fact that their group stage game against France ended 6-3, they oh, got three amazing. goals on France. Martha Cox. Goal of first, the tournament. First ever, first ever goal for Panama. Uh, arguably the goal of the tournament. It's, it's not goal arguably no the goal of the tournament. It is, it is the most unbelievable <laughs> free kick. Uh, I mean... It does not get the credit it deserves because of the game it was in and, and who scored it in the sense no, it's Panama, I, it's not late in the tournament. I heard someone saying Sam Kerr's Sam Kerr's goal versus England is maybe goal of the tournament. Like you try doing what Martha Cox did. I, you could take me with a bag of 50 balls out there in a wall in front of me. <laughs> I am maybe hitting that once, maybe. And like, all right, come on. Yeah, I'm with you. What a story. And that, that goal is my goal of the tournament. I don't just no, no competition. The no <laughs> they scored the goal. The bench cleared to celebrate. The bench gets a yellow. I'm like, three minutes into the, the game, part. two minutes into the Literally, game, something like that. Like, they had and they led France for like a good 10, 15 minutes after that. I'm like, that if you're gonna get a yellow card for anything, yes, I approve of that yellow card. Uh, but uh, no, like even again, they end up losing six three. They weren't ever gonna make it out of the out of the group, I didn't think. But still, even though, like, all right, you, you scored three goals. One of them was an absolute banger. When they went back to Panama, there were people lining up in the airport, just waiting to see the the uh, the, the national team, the Canaleras, come back in Panama City. They had a nice reception. Colombia, they had a nice reception as well. They had like a city plaza in Bogota. Uh, and there were a lot of people who went to that. Um, the Philippines, I think I saw photos of them come going back home and um, them getting praise as well. So, uh, and then I did see Australia. They had like a little, uh, they had a, like a ceremony in Brisbane on the day of the final. So, hey man, the growth is just amazing. I can't get over that. It, it's just, it's just amazing to see how much this game has grown. And it's never going to be like the men's game, I don't think, in that, okay. Like, there's going to be people who make those, like, comparisons and stuff. I, why do we have to compare, I think? Yeah, not useful. I, I mean, it's I'm at the, point it's where, the like, biggest why? women's sport. It, it, tell me one women's sport that is as big in terms of uh, played throughout the world, opportunities for people from really everywhere. Like, I know that a sport like tennis, for instance, is big, but, like, how many really, really good players, you know, not even really, really good, but how many players do you see from vast different parts of the world in tennis, right? We, we've had Arab teams at this World Cup. We, like we had Morocco um, and advancing as well. Can uh, we talk about Morocco? Know, That's another incredible another, story. Yep. Yeah, great story. I mean, especially for the country in the space of six months. Uh, from a footballing perspective, right? The men making it to the semifinal, first African nation to do so on the men's side, best finish for Morocco ever, of course. And then for the women, yeah, getting out of the group, 
in quite a wild fashion too. I mean, what they lose six nil to Germany on their opening match. And it looks like it's going to be a hopeless world cup, but then they turned it around. I mean, yeah. Went through at Germany's expense. It's just crazy. Hey man, it, Morocco is seeing a football boom right now, men and women. Yeah, like, so I know, you know like, what the king has apparently really put a lot of money into making sure that everything is. This is why monarchies are kind of interesting, is because you get one of these kings that's like a you know really forward thinking person who wants to invest in all the good stuff, right? <laughs> and here he is. He's like, I've decided women's football is important. We're going to do it, and like this is great result. It's it's a it's a great thing to see. No, it absolutely is. They hosted Afcon last year. And the, some of the venues were packed. And, of course, whenever Morocco played, it was also packed. And they were the furthest African team to make it in, in the knock. Well, there were three African teams in the knockout stage. They were the first, they were the only debutante to make it into the knockout That's right. That's yeah, yeah, I, yeah. That's what it was. That's what I was thinking about. But, again, just that stat alone. Like, okay, we have a debutante in the knockout stage. We had three African teams in the knockout stage. Uh, and the and the sport is definitely growing in Africa. I think faster than say Latin America. Like yeah, Costa Rica is in the World Cup and that's great and all, but the fact that Nigeria, South Africa, and Morocco were all in the knockout stage. Meanwhile, over here, like Brazil and Argentina were not. I think that is the big that is the big point of contention. Panama, Jamaica, Costa Rica, small populations. Do what you can. Argentina and Brazil, and actually, this this is great. This brings me on to the, the segues to the next thing I want to know. What are your biggest disappointments? And for me, Argentina-Brazil definitely is one of them uh, as a combined package. Brazil, phenomenal looking in their match against Panama. Then they have that difficult match where they played well, lose 2-1 to France, can't score against Jamaica, and they're out. Okay, unfortunate. I think Jamaica were a little lucky to get out of the group the way they went about things. Um, valiant, but definitely not all that progressive. I mean, they only scored one goal the whole tournament. Um, but Argentina are another one. It's like, why aren't they better, right? And I, I think that is that is disappointing, especially when you look at a team like I thought South Africa. Oh, if things had, had worked just a little bit differently in their match against the Netherlands. They could have they, – they easily could have been – uh, level at halftime, yeah. possibly ahead. I mean, they, they were really giving it to the Dutch in the first half. And I just am not seeing that same improvement from Brazil and Argentina. My other major disappointment is Norway. Um, I cannot believe how, how like, where, like, what is going on. I don't get it. I'm done uh, calling them a dark horse for anything forever until they prove me otherwise. <laughs> Because this is, they they have made me look like a complete mug two tournaments in a row. At least they didn't get smoked by England. Uh, I don't, Norway, I'm not even considering them. Like you said, like, I don't think they would make it out the group. I genuinely do not think they would make it out the group. And we were making a good case of why the Philippines would make it out ahead of them. But, um... Yeah, that's obviously a disappointment, but I wouldn't rate that as, like, my biggest disappointment. Carmel being disappointing this World Cup is definitely cause for some concern in South America. Um, 
no, again, nothing against Colombia, but no one expected them to be the flag bearers of the region. No, yeah, no. Uh, Brazil, uh, I don't know what the issue with Brazil was, to be honest with you. They have talent. I don't know, like, they just couldn't gel together. Did Pia Sundaga, you know, lose a step? I don't know what the case is. Argentina, they're just, like, trying to, like, develop their women's program a lot more. Because I remember, but at the same, I remember opening match, World Cup 07, 11-0 defeat to Germany. Mm-hmm. Safe to say that Argentina is not at that stage anymore, True. but there's still a lot to do in in these Latin American countries, and uh, it just has to do with like the investment, it has to do with like getting players developed. Um, Argentina is another team that relies on some American players, and like, uh. We we're talking about goals of the tournament. Sophie Braun against uh, South Africa had an amazing goal. Oh, her goal. Yeah, one of the best of the group stage. And she, uh, I think, plays at, uh, or played at Gonzaga. Or at some college in the West Coast. But yes, I think they need to like, do some more developing. Do a lot more recruiting. I think that's one thing that the Philippines are really good at. Uh but surely Argentina doesn't need to recruit. I mean, come on. This is the country of Messi, Maradona, true. and countless on the men's side. The the but game true. is deeply part of the culture there. More than in a lot like Re- where where women go women go to, you know, Argentine league games. Like you see families in the crowd, the women are all there. When I was in Russia, who for goes the World Cup, there were more women who were Argentinian there than any other nationality. So, like, they love who, their football. Who goes to the women's matches, though? Well, I'm not saying this. I, I'm just saying that you would think that with the passion that they have, that enough oh, no, yes. grassroots football is going on, that you're, and with the population, that those things combined would create at least a a solid batch of players. Why is it that Portugal, for instance, looks so much further along than Argentina? That doesn't make sense to me. Development. I think Portugal is like their development in the women's game is a lot better than that of Argentina. Uh again, Portugal could be could have been the other debutante to make it into the knockout stage yep. had it not been for the goalposts against the US. Um but yeah, it's something that I feel like they are going to work on. I mean, they just have to. Like, some some countries still need to do the catch-up. South America, I think, and Latin America as a whole still have to do the catching up. Um, I still think Panama and Jamaica, like we spoke about in uh, the previews, that might that could be a nice little rivalry in the future. Um, yeah, that's right. Yeah, a little CONCACAF rivalry. Uh, what else was disappointing to me? Uh CONCACAF, of, you could say CONCACAF as well, but Jamaica had a good tournament, making it all the way to the knockouts. Uh, Canada was very disappointing. Yep. Yeah. Agreed. Canada were just, uh, I don't know, bad. Uh, the U.S., bad. Um, well, other disappointments. Uh, Germany, of course. I mean, there weren't too but many. Like, That's, I think, one of the, the nice things about the tournament. It was, there was a lot of things that were good, but 
you know. And the things that we would consider disappointments, like again, the U.S. and Germany, I think at the in the long run, in the long haul, is good for the sport. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah, I, it was nice but, to, to see a new winner, for instance, and and it, and in the semifinal, you knew that there would be a new winner. Um, right. That was Sweden. Really cool. <laughs> um, so we have this running joke with Belgium how they're the third place kings whatever tournament they're in they find their way in third place in something the women's equivalent is definitely sweden it, it just is yeah different playing style though right obviously different like identity in the way they go i mean i was trying to think if there is a men's uh, similar end result sort of an equivalent in the way they played sweden i gotta hand it to them i gotta say uh i i I am glad they went out in the semifinals, as we I think we said that off air, because I didn't want to see a team <laughs> that just want, that scored most of its goals from set pieces and was stout defensively, but also kind of lucky to get through more than one knockout match. I think it's fine if you get through one knockout match with a little bit of luck and there's a you know some sliding doors moments where you could have gone out, but I don't want to see the winner of the competition have like two or three straight games where you're like. Really? How the hell did they manage to win that? And then they go deep, which is why I think Australia also going out in the semifinal made sense. Like getting past France was a massive achievement for them. Beating England in a similar way would have been. I just think I think it was good that we also got the best two teams in the tournament in the final. Um, there were a lot of great stories from debutantes, great stories from, uh, you know, a nation nations that are starting to emerge I, I agree with you there really aren't that many negative stories and most of the things that may be considered negative for a country or two probably worked out in the grand scheme for everyone else um i i guess um i guess it, it's an easy moment to kind of move on to the u.s you said earlier that uh people said that they're immune from criticism and you said and you said that's hilarious um yes because i have to say being... I, go ahead explain what you mean by that I hate, oh my God, Carly Lloyd said what she said. Yeah, which she was, by the way, not, said. just to give context here to anyone listening, Carly Lloyd, what she basically said was, after the match against Portugal, where they just scraped through, she was like, basically saying that the dancing, the like, the joking, the smiling and laughing on the field, like, is not measured for the moment. Like you almost just got knocked out. Like you do not look focused and serious enough. That was basically the gist of what she said. And that basically the way they were playing was just not good enough. That's essentially what she said. She had no, she didn't say anything about any individuals. Didn't, didn't name names. Just kind of was like, I don't think that's the way you should really carry yourself coming from Carly Lloyd. That makes all the sense in the world because that is her personality. Um, <laughs> Uh, I think it's fine. I think it's, but it, it was interesting. The backlash she got was just totally ridiculous, but that is, this team is a lightning rod. And I, I guess here's what I would also put your way is this was probably the most hate watched team at the world cup where there were so many people, not necessarily watching the games, but waiting for the U S to slip up so that they could, really dogpile on it. And most of these people, I think, are people who do not care one single bit about the sport as it is anyway. Oh, no, 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 no. I don't really care for the people So I think it's very interesting that. overall. And I do think that the criticism was more than warranted this time around. Yeah, I don't think uh, the U.S., uh, 
Like, I don't think Megan Rapinoe missed a penalty because she supports whoever she wants to support. <laughs> yeah. I don't really buy into that argument. Um, a lot of people definitely did. And um, Carly Lloyd says what she says. I don't think she was wrong in her criticism. Any other country where they criticize a team in the way that she did wouldn't have people like on her ass like, no, I think you're, I think you're being too harsh, or oh, a lot of the players played in their first World Cup. We can't really criticize them as we would a team with experience, except for the fact that the players on this national team took part in a commercial that said USA versus the world. Like the commercial, yeah, the commercial is a bad look now, isn't it? <laughs> Age like milk. It, it it's like, yeah, you can blame the media, but they were in on it. They were in on it. It's not like Fox said this independently and like took highlights and shit. They were in on it. Freaking, and then what Lynette Bernstein said, oh, like I'm happy they got knocked out because you know it kind of brought them off a high horse. To paraphrase. And people got mad at her for that. Like that's well, she why she spoke got too early as well. She spoke too early as well. But taking away that from the equation, what did she say that was wrong? Nothing. 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 But I think, uh, like, just those moments, just like the thought that oh, we we're above criticism. We don't need criticism. Is like American exceptionalism personified. Well, and I think it's interesting for people to feel this way because that doesn't exist on the men's side. The ex American exceptionalism, exceptionalism does not exist on the men's side in the men's game. What does exist is this, like, this year we are rocky. Like, we, you know, we are going to defeat Drago. Every World Cup, it's we're going to do it. It's the, the American story's on. We're the ones that, you know, it's our time. It's, it's you know, it's at least a fun thing on the men's side in a way it's a little bit ridiculous at times and naive sounding but at least oh yeah twenty twenty. at least World there's a measured understanding that like we aren't we are not the favorites to win the world cup right whereas on the women's side there's cause plenty of it to have a sort of superiority complex and i think that that's normal right the talk to brazilians about the way they feel about the their 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 men's team a lot of them just like it, it's not even so much that they it, it's just that there is this belief that like they should always be in the semifinal or the final just because they have just they're just better than everybody else and and they should always be there whether they win or lose you know you know god willing football that's i mean i've heard many brazilians say this and sometimes you are sometimes you're not right and it's i think this is one of those that. years where the u.s their cycle they aren't one of the best teams right they just aren't right now and i don't think that's that big of a deal I mean, I think it's funny you mention that because um, I think the like the comparison between the U.S. and Brazil, the USA women and Brazil men, is like the most apt. The two most successful teams in each uh, gender. Again, I'm not in on the comparison bit, but let's just you know make that comparison. If the Brazilian men played anything like they like the USA women did in the group stage. They would be getting crucified. Oh God, it would be terrible. Yeah, and no one would be coming to the players' aids like, "Oh, you're just bitter." Let's say Ronaldinho or Ronaldo. I think Ronaldo's on TV more. Let's say Ronaldo Nazario made those same Carly Lloyd critiques. No one would be like, "Oh, Ronaldo is bitter." Oh, 
Ronaldo is desperate to see the U.S. desperate to see Brazil lose. Like you wouldn't see that. You see that here, however. So here's a question then: Would you say that maybe part of the reason why is because this U.S. women's national team? Look, they're more than just a football team. Like they 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 represent a lot more than just a sports team, right? Fair. And in that sense, they what surrounds them, the narratives surrounding them are also bigger, right? When the when the US men play in the Gold Cup and it's a C team and they lose, I mean, they got they got pulled apart. There were a lot of there was a lot of criticism about the U, the way the US went out of a Gold Cup with a third team. Yeah, and, and I thought it was really interesting. Time. But and and also the way the way the reaction to the US uh performance in Qatar, I thought was pretty harsh in a lot of ways at times. I was like I thought they did fine. I don't think they did anything under expectations. They didn't over they didn't overperform. Okay, whoop de doo. Uh but on the the women's side there, there's just more I think there's more that fans, a lot of fans of this team gravitate to with regards to the players. They love some of these players. And I mean, love them. Like, they, like these players are not just like great players that people look up to. They're, they're regarded as icons on a human level for so many of the fans. That's fair. That, that the way that you talk about them is different than a sports person almost. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like Megan Rapino and certain, some of the players who are like, I mean, Alex Morgan, basically it's like Taylor Swift. She's got this like band of girls of all of so many ages that are just ride or die Alex Morgan. And that's very it's, much it's not it's not just about her soccer playing. It's they just she's this larger than life personality and presence that they really like an icon. And so I think it's very interesting. The U.S. women's team, for instance, the U.S. men's team go out of the World Cup. And I heard a peep from the mainstream media. The U.S. women's team got to the World Cup and like half the YouTube channels on the planet are taking their shot. Right. Like, I mean, I saw early in the World Cup, there were people complaining about how the U.S. women were not all standing with their hands on their hearts, singing the national anthem. My reaction was, you don't watch international football, because if you did, you would know that this is normal among every team except Italy. Italy's the only one where every single dude is just screaming the national anthem. Every other country has some that are quiet, some that just stand there, some that sing. But people made a huge deal about this. So you have a lot of right-wing people going absolutely nuts about it. Then they go, woke U.S. team loses the World Cup. You're like, you're thinking of one person in your mind. It's like you're thinking of Megan Rapinoe, and now you're assigning 23 players to what you consider a political ideology. It's like, the U.S. men's team does not is not under this strange, bizarre, cultural, divisive microscope like the women's team is, and I think that's a weird place for the program to be. You're right. I just, I honestly, with all due respect to what they do off the field, like whatever human right they want to fight for, I don't care in the sense that. I am based when I'm judging the team. I'm not judging the team because someone took a knee for the anthem once upon a time. I'm not judging the team because they believe they deserve to be paid more than the men or equal to the men in my bed. 
I'm good. Like, I look at a team, and if I think you suck, you suck because your ass couldn't beat the Netherlands. You barely scraped by against Portugal, not because you donated however much money to Planned Parenthood or you support Colin Kaepernick. I couldn't care less about that when we're just, when we're talking about the team on the field. You could do all that. I don't care. But it's like, and I said this when, uh, on one of our lives, uh, it's like people coming at Marcus Rashford for donating food to kids. Like, yeah, they're like, he's, he's, yeah, people were saying he's going to be distracted from, on, like, what? Exactly. And, uh, and that's why England lost the Euro. Like, respect, I, I hate that argument. I, it gets so annoying. I, I guess my point it is that it's, it's very interesting that the U.S. women's team has these kind of things following them around. I think it was kind of a perfect storm of events, things in time. You know, there's just a lot of things that happened in the last five, six years that have kept this kind of dragging on to the point where it becomes a lot of the issues that people know and talk about become contentious. And then all of a sudden, like you said, you've got people hating a team because – of one player who took a knee, you know, who took a knee during the national anthem. Like, I mean, that is, and assigning the whole rest of the team and the whole rest of the program and basically women's soccer in the U.S. in general to to be, you know, uh, this whatever thing people decide it is. And like you said, I, I, and I'm like you, I do not care about any of that other stuff. I, I understand how big of a cultural deal they are. Um. I right. do think it was it good, though, to see to Carly Lloyd say what she said, though, because there were a ton of people who were completely 100% on board. Look, I know Alexi Lawless gets a lot of shit for being Mr. Hot Take. Shit. But, oh, um, same thing. And I actually do think that in live, you know, on the broadcast halftime post game, I, I think he's a little too, he's just a little too much for me. But I did watch his State of the Union podcast daily um, during the World Cup. And he's just hanging out with his buddy David Mossy and they're chatting. And you know what I really appreciate about Alexi Lawless? He's freaking honest and has absolutely no problems saying, yeah, that was a horrific defensive error by this player and says her name, you know, and like, because I saw a lot of people handle mistakes or things that went wrong with kids gloves, the way they just sort of talked about it. And I'm not saying that we need they to were be being overly critical to the women. I Like, I, I don't think it's. But I also don't think it's unfair to say, wow, what on earth kind of decision was that? What like this is terrible technically. Like, and I think people got a dose no, of that. Exactly. Exactly. And get used to it because if women's football is on the pace it is right now, US might not be lifting another World Cup anytime soon. They could low key be on the same trajectory as Norway. Not in the terms of getting washed, but like in terms of Okay, maybe we might not win a World Cup in the future. In the next, the next World Cup, we may not win it, or the next Olympics, we might finish bronze or something. Uh, and like U.S. hasn't won an Olympic gold medal since London. That's a yep. whole thirteen years ago. I mean, that's a whole uh, eleven years ago. My bad, eleven years ago. So like, yeah, like I feel like we're at that point now. Uh. Again, I think the team has a lot to look forward to. 
I do think Sophia Smith, Trinity Rodman, Naomi Gurma, this is going to be their team now. Yeah. Uh, Savannah DeMello, throw her in there as well. Um, but in terms of the criticism, like, she was not wrong at all. She was not wrong at all. Like, just, and this is another reason why you, the, the U.S. isn't really a soccer country because of how the criticism was criticized. I, it's just, <laughs> le, like, Manchester United got cooked by Spurs, and everyone's thinking Manchester United. No one's like, it was the referee, though. Even though Bruno said something like, oh, I want the referee to apologize to me. Oh, Mason Mount, <laughs> it's only his second match at the club. Like, should really be easy on him. No. They're coming for your neck. Rightfully so. And the suck part is that the U.S. had a good game against Sweden, but it was too little too late. Yeah, I mean, I think it would have been weird to see them. If they had advanced past that game, you could totally see how they would have figured out a way to cobble together just like game after game, survive advance and win the whole thing. So I was happy to see them go out for the sole reason that I wanted to see the future of women's football. I yes. had no, I was not hate watching the U.S. women. I was just – I actually was – I did not want a previous winner to win. I love Japan. I loved what they were doing. I was like, cool, but I hope you fall at some point. They would have been the only previous winner. They would have been the only country off. Japan would have been the only previous winner I would have wanted to see win. And the way Japan started the tournament, it looked like it. It did. It really did. And then for them to go out, you know, against Sweden in a weird game where I thought that was Sweden's best game. And then, and then, yeah, you have four teams in the semifinal. It's like, okay, new winner. The final, I think, is exactly what a lot of people with power rankings and brackets done at the very beginning of the tournament. Because I'd say a fair percentage of people would have picked these two teams to end up in this spot. So we haven't talked at all about the actual match. Uh, I don't think there's a whole lot to say about it, except before we before we get to that. Yeah, uh, go for well, it. So I really, I want to put a pin on the USA point, right? Yeah, go for it. I honestly wasn't. Ex- I didn't know what was going to happen. I thought. Alana Cook, right? She would uh, dig up, her family would dig up some dirt on Vladko Andonovsky and deliver that dirt to Kate Markgraf. And then an investigation would be launched. And then Vladko would have to step aside. And then, let's say December comes, the U.S. announces Vladko Andonovsky's hire. I was really thinking that might happen. Because if, if Matt Crocker's involved, yeah, if Matt Crocker's involved, I can totally see that they do that, right? <laughs> hey, man, Kate Markgraf had the same position as Ernie Stewart on the men's side. So, like, okay, like, I'm thinking, okay, maybe all this, because Lana Cook didn't get playing time for shit. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, let, I legit thought they would, you know, keep the status quo with Vladko, but hey, man, it is what it is. Well, actually, I guess before we do move on to the final, one last thing about the U.S., I think... They're not getting with, Savina Vrigman. They are not. No, I don't know. I don't even want to get into that conversation. I think that's annoying. It's an <laughs> annoying conversation. It's so like, oh, like it's the most, it's like, oh, well, who's the best manager? And they go, it's either the woman who's got a really good stock with England or it's the guy who apparently half the team hates, but he seems to be a pretty good coach. It can't be him. It's got to be her. There's no one else. 
it's oh, in my opinion, it's Emma Hayes. That's that's if I'm the U.S. soccer, I go look, Emma Hayes. You've been at Chelsea for a long time. You've won literally everything there is to win except the Champions League. You're going to be in a rebuilding phase because the team you built over the last five seven years is is turning over. New players are coming in. Uh, it, Emma, Emma Hayes used to coach in the U.S. She's been here. She she went to college here. I mean, I think that if the U.S. are serious, that to me is the most obvious um, candidate uh, of someone who is coach. like top level, top level coach, proven for years and years and years on end. But I don't know. I'm not really worried about the U.S. women's coaching hire. I think that these are things that I could also go for someone who I've never heard of who just has a great reputation. Like, I don't I don't think international managers need to be these massive names. I just think they need to have the right personality, know how to build a culture, and know how to, um, you know, be the ones in charge and and that the players understand sort of, like, what is required of them. That's, that's all that's needed. With the U.S., though, I kind of wonder, you know, is... Like, like Vlatko Anonofsky, I think, was the wrong hire. And I don't think he was the wrong hire in the sense that he was a bad coach, but I think him taking over the team at that time, anyone taking over the team at that time would have would have struggled. But he was never going to be able to just phase out all the old players and be like, I'm starting something new. Bye. Like, we just won a World Cup. There was no way he could turn it over. And I think the U.S. – I think USSF really didn't think through, like, what it would mean – with that like you needed someone strong who was like i don't care about my reputation in a way i don't know what do you think about that i'll disagree with you slightly okay because while most of what you said is true they could have started doing that phase out at the olympics yeah they probably should have done it before the olympics because the olympics are limited squad you have 18 players only that was a great moment to not bring back Carly Lloyd, Megan Rapino, like right, right, a few of those. But you know, Alex Morgan, I think, was harder to get rid of because she's not yet like as old. But you know, it, right. yes, so it could have like started then at that but, Olympic run. You could have started then, but again, it was going to be hard to get rid of like a lot of the players who were on that U.S. Women's National Team side. So I agree with you in that sense. But also, he could have had a chance to begin that phase out. But I don't know. And then you bring in a lot of incoming players like who haven't had ticks for anything. I, the one player everyone mentioned was Savannah DeMello. Not that she's a bad player or anything. She's really good, but she doesn't really have a feel for the national team. Her nope. first cap came against Wales in the pre-World Cup in the send-off match. And then she started the opening match. Like, I wouldn't have done that. Savannah DeMello is someone you should have integrated into the program after the Olympics. Yeah, Sofia Huerta didn't play at all. I don't think we saw Ashley Sanchez. Like, strange. So, I, what I I just wonder if he had a real handle on what he wanted his team to look like from the very very beginning. And I think that they're gonna need someone to come in and again, like I said, I don't really care who, but they're gonna need someone to come in, and it's gonna need to be someone who can be the obvious leader of the team, right? Not just someone who's organizing this amazing batch of icons to try and help them you know tee them up so they can go out there and do their thing it just it he never felt like he was really in charge and i think they need someone who feels like they're in charge which is absolutely get the ground running emma emma hayes would definitely be one to do that uh i like that shout i don't ever i do not think serena vigman will leave 
not only for the fact that she says so herself, nor would I think former U.S. assistant Tony Gustafson would either. Well, time for Julie Foudy to put her money where her mouth is. Let's, come on, Julie. Let's see what you got. Um, all right, so... <laughs> Two players who received, or three players who received um, individual awards at this Women's World Cup. Salma Parayuelo, fantastic name that oh I've heard God. so many people struggle to pronounce. It's been amazing to hear some, some podcasts and shows just literally d- d- add add J's and H's and different things at, in it. It's great. Parallelo Young of the tournament. Oh, yeah. Parallelo. 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 And then it just goes off a cliff. It's so great. Um, so she wins young player of the tournament. I don't think there's much of an argument for this because all the young players who did well did well for a game or two or had a big no. moment in a game or two and didn't go far enough in the competition necessarily to warrant this award. I don't think anyone for England would really get this aside from Lauren James, and she really only had a good group stage before getting sent off against Nigeria. Yeah, that red card, sorry to cut you off, that red card fucked her up. Yeah. I think that... That doesn't happen. She would probably be starting the rest of the way, and she may have a legit case for young player. But I could think even, that red card could have even won golden boot. Things. You know, I mean, the way she was going. That as well. That as well. I think that red card slowed things down for her. Unfortunately, it's gonna be a it's gonna be something she learns from. But that might have been that. I think proved to be a costly. But Parayuelo, you, I mean. You think no, no, no worthy, worthy no winner, worthy winner of the best player of the tournament? You'd say, oh, best young player, yes, yeah, best young player of the tournament, best, best, yes, uh, no argument there. She, uh, amazing. Her story as well is amazing. The fact that she's a runner, she's a track star, and she's yep. also a Champions League winner. She's won all three World Cups: the U twenty, the U seventeen, and the senior team. In the last 12 she, months, is that right, as well? I believe the U-17 came a while ago, but the U-20, yes. The U-20 was last summer. Oh, yeah, because she's uh, not. She, I thought she was. Is she 18? Isn't she 18? 19. Oh, she's 19. Okay, so that had to be two years ago, the under-17s. Okay. Yes. Uh, but still, like, Champions League winner, Spanish League winner. She, she essentially completed women's football. And she just needs the Olympics and the Euro. But she's only 19. Her stock is going to rise so high. Definitely warrants the best young player of the tournament. Aitana Bomanti definitely warrants the best player of the tournament. And I would go as far as to say she should win the Ballon d'Or. Yeah, look, I, I think that it's great for her that she – I think that, that... – that victory over wait was it there was a four one win um, who they beat it was um, it was had to have been uh, what was it I'm I'm forgetting is that's right yeah and they they had the yeah hilarious own goal um she, you know she had two goals in that game scored in the opener and I think just overall showed just the level of class that she has. What I thought was interesting is as we were going into this final game, I was like thinking about who would really be like last night before it started. I was like, who who would I nominate as my player of the tournament? And it was very difficult because it felt as if there was no player who showed up literally in every game. 
and and was and was very good minimum in every single game because remember Spain got <laughs> smashed by Japan in a game where not that they were terrible but things didn't work for them you couldn't really look for any of their players as standouts in that match then but imagine uh, Japan was like okay are they gonna win this World Cup or is their journey gonna end here like that Japan game everyone was like myself included okay Spain just got exposed they probably but, might not go as far anymore but. To your point, like, okay, that was a blip. But Bomanti, for the most part, has been Spain's best player, has been their most consistent player. I uh, I would put Hermoso right there with her. But Bo- Bomanti, I think she's been, without question, their best player. So uh, a player who threw her name into the hat late in this whole thing is Olga Carmona. Who, by the way, I just read a few minutes, ago, like a little bit ago, that her father passed. She found out her father passed away just like, I'm I'm talking not long, maybe an hour, maybe a couple hours, maybe a little less. Uh, found out her father passed away right after the World Cup um, final. So for her to get the winner, not just in the semifinal, which was an absolute bomb, maybe savable, but still an absolute bomb. And then for her to score such a good goal in the final... Um, I was I I really am a big fan of Olga Carmona. I think uh, second best left back in the women's game behind Sakina Karchawi of France. Um, but what a player! I, I thought the goal was excellent, and you know I think she she could have deserved a shout for player of the tournament as well in the end because she was a crucial part of Spain's everything. She was a crucial part of their attack. You're she right. got involved. She was very important defensively. I just think that it was. You go into the final match and you're like, could it be, you know, maybe it's going to be, uh, like, who from England would you give it to? I wouldn't have said Alessia Russo. Maybe um, Lauren Hemp. Right? I probably would have won. Probably would have won said, if they, if they won the World Cup because Hemp I, had a big, big impact. I would have given it. I would have considered Russo or Hemp if it were England. I would have also considered. Uh, I would have probably considered. Uh, either Millie Bright or Lucy Bronze. I would even go as far as to say Mary Earps. The, absolutely. So gold won the Golden Glove. I think that's a tough one to really argue as well, given that yes. England had a very good defensive record all the way through the tournament. She's a goalkeeper you, you notice because she just has a personality about her. I know that for you, I think if the Dutch had made it to the semifinal, you probably would have said Daphne van Domselaar because, I mean, she was very good again. Um, and I know you were a big fan of her performance at the Euros when she kind of came on totally unknown. As goalkeeper, yes. Uh, if it wasn't, I think Mary Earps, best uh, gold glove, I'm not mad at that. Uh we're actually in the middle of trying to come up with our first team, second team for this World Cup. And uh, Musovic, she had an amazing game against the U.S. And she had amazing saves in this knockout stage. But Erps would be my first. And Mackenzie Arnold would be my second. I agree. I completely agree. Ha- has to be Mackenzie Arnold. Mackenzie Arnold, in, ga- in, like, in games where uh, Australia have won, she has been... A force. She's been a brick wall. I, I've just been fascinated by her play. And um, sidebar, and this is not just applies for the women's game, but this is generally speaking. Make goalkeeper jerseys available, please. Thanks. 
Yep, I remember reading about that before the World Cup. They did not make um, her jersey available, which is ridiculous. I mean, that thing would sell. But you don't see that available for any men's team either. It's like, the same thing, I isn't like, it? I would have gotten an Emmy Martinez jersey or Yassin Bono uh, jersey. But now I, I, I'm not mad at people wanting a Mary Erbser and Mackenzie Arnold jersey. Like, make them shits available. Hundred percent. That's ridiculous. That's just that's just ridiculous that they're not. That makes no sense whatsoever. Um, I thought about my team. Just the goalkeeper jersey. Yeah, just I mean, some of the goalkeeper jerseys are great. They they used to be hilarious. I think that people have forgotten that now they like are like the normal jerseys. They're not these giant things with the elbow pads like you saw in the nineties. Um, they'd they'd be something that you can actually wear out. I mean, his were awesome. I mean, they're just the most insane. They're so cool. Like if I had one Jorge Campos jersey, I would consider that like that would that'd be a big, big get. But so look, I thought about Mati, at my opinion, my favorite, my favorite player in the women's game to watch. Um, absolutely love okay. watching her play. Very, very pleased for her that she got there, won it. England, I think, can be very proud. Serena Vigman, I Took some time looking this up. If you want to fact check me on this and look, I would I would love to find out if if this is right. I believe she is the only international manager to lead to make it to four consecutive major tournament finals to all four that are available. So the Euros, then the World Cup with the Netherlands. She won the Euros, made it to the World Cup final with the Netherlands. Won the Euros with England, made it to the World Cup final with with uh, them. I looked up. Previous in the on the men's side, all this I never found one coach who won who made it to four finals back to back. So if that's actually the case, Serena Vigman, excellent work. England, I think, valid probably the most uh, efficient team. Played very German like, you know, they they just knew how to win games and get through and do what they needed to and always seem in control. But the winners, Spain. And uh, I love it because it's my favorite team to watch. I think it's the highest level of technical quality we've seen from a women's team. And uh, I think the bar has officially been raised. So that's really great. Cool to see that Spain officially raises the bar, both the men's and the women's teams. When they win a World Cup, pretty much everyone takes notice and goes, "Uh uh-huh, that star means something. So now... The women's team gets a star as well, as you were pointing at your jersey. The women's team gets one. Um, the women's English team is still sitting without one, unfortunately. So let's talk about this. Jorge Vilda, um, pantomime villain or what? Like what the, the guy wins the world cup having, you know, withstood Jorge Vilda, the coach. Yeah. What'd you call him? It's Jorge, the know, pantomime villain. Oh, <laughs> he's like this like guy who's like, oh, he's kind of like. You know, he kind of looks – It's there's something funny about his look on the sideline. He's like there's something slightly villainous about him that also I don't really think. But the amount – the way that the, the commentators all spoke about him throughout the tournament, it was like no one really likes this guy. Um, but I didn't see that from Spain. I thought I saw a pretty together group, and they go in their World Cup champions yes. – and so, yeah, what, what what did you think of Spain taking it? You've got the jersey. You're you're stoked about this. So, I mean, I am too, but I'm I, only I think stoked it's great. About but... this. I'm only stoked about this because of the fact that, okay, it's, uh, it's Spain. Like, 
I was definitely a lot more over the moon when Argentina won it. Not to say that I'm not now. I'm very happy that Spain won it. Like I said, I have a rooting interest now. Um, two things could be true. Jorge Vilda could be a manager who, for the most part, especially in the knockout stage, played his tactics right. I think bring Paruelo on in like late stages of games where some of these teams might just be out of gas to like really put the nail in the coffin was good. Was a good move tactically, I think. He could always, he could also be scum. So two things can be true. You have to give him some credit for that, for his uh, technical awareness. But you can also recognize that he's, from what we've been hearing, a piece of shit. So that's that's why I'm in a rock and a hard place. I know a lot of people supported England because of Jorge Vilda. And the Spanish team were good. I, You could say he was good in spite of him. That's fair to say. But he has to have some credit. I'm not giving him the whole shebang. Some credit. And that, I think, might, for some people, might be divisive. But I think it's accurate. He has to get some type of credit. But in, in large parts, this team is just really good and very talented. We already spoke about Bomanti. I thought Hermoso was the second best player for Spain. Or as good as Bomanti was. Paruelo. Do we have to say more about her? Alexa Puteas, she wasn't really at her 100% he wasn't ready. best. She wasn't ready. She, she might right. She she probably wasn't ready physically. She got the start in the uh, she got the start in the semifinal. Yeah, came off the bench in the pace. final. She did it, and then that's why taking her off for Salma, I think, was a good move tactically. But if we had a hundred percent fully fit Alexia, same thing. Uh, Redondo was really good. Uh. Carmona really found herself in the knockout stage. So, yeah, that's my stance on this. Bilda, give him some credit. It's okay not to give him the entire credit because, again, the players on the field did the job. So, yeah. So, I would argue that for anyone that hate-watched Spain um, or hate-watched Jorge Bilda specifically, they said, you know, I want this team to lo- to not win because you don't want them to win with apparently the asshole in charge, right? And I, look, I have to be honest with you. I've not gone and read a whole lot about this whole scenario. Um, like we said, Luis Rubiales, the uh, president of the Spanish FA, when he got the complaints from the players, the letter saying, hey, 15 of us don't want to go, he was like, yeah, no, that's not happening. I don't know what you, who you think you are. You are absolutely out of your station right now. You're going to apologize or you're not going to be playing. Now, 15 players signing a list, that's pretty damning. But also, at the same time, there's a part of you that goes, well, you know, good on the Federation for at least sticking up for the person they've put in charge as coach instead of just folding to player pressure. I think France needed to fold the player pressure because it was clear Corinne Diak was toxic. But I watched Spain at the Euros, and I did not see a toxic-looking team. I don't think you win the World Cup 
with a completely toxic environment. I watched them celebrate games, goals. I bet you there are some players who actually really are fine with his methods, <clears throat> whatever they, whatever those are. I don't even know what methods were the complaint at this point. There's so little information that I have been able to find and see in terms of details about all this. My big point here is the best thing that could have happened for Spain was that they win this because now the demands for where the thing, where it can all go are going to be higher. Players are going to say, look, we don't want a coach who is basically just, I think Vilda is a, a, like, a, you know, close to Rubiales in some way, like either the families know each other or something like that. This is a little bit of a sweetheart appointment. This is not, you've worked your way up and earned this. So my hope is that with Spain going, look, we're world champions now. We need to do this legit. We need to make sure that we bring the best team we can to every competition. We don't want disputes going on before then. We need to make sure that we've got a manager that not only has the belief of the federation, but the belief of the players and also the people, right? When you hire a national team manager, you're taking the pulse on how this person's going to be accepted by, you know, the country because it does matter in a way that that doesn't for the club game. Um, so I think I think this is a this is huge for Spain. Love it or hate Vilda, I think for the players and for the future of the game on the women's side in Spain, this is nothing but a victory. Don't hate on the person. Don't hate on that. someone who's involved in it. Love the fact that so many other people are going to win. So many women, exactly. girls are going to win because of this victory. They're, like doors are about to fly open, right? And you can hate on Vila if you want, but more people are going to win because of this. That's just my point. Yes, for the, the team. Yes, absolutely. I agree with you. The only thing I'm con like not necessarily concerned about, but like I would you know keep an eye on is if the FA you know, can stunts the growth. Like, you won the World Cup now. You have a leg to stand on. When you make arguments, when you make your pitches to the to the FA, no longer, I you shouldn't be at the point where in the Copa de la Reina final, instead of hand, giving out the trophies, not the trophies, putting the medals around the players' necks, you just leave it there because you have a dispute with the players. I, I think we should be above that. I hope Rubiales is above that. He himself could be scum. But for what this can do to Spanish footy, yes, it opens doors. Uh, you know me. I watch the broadcasts in Spanish. So they had uh, Natalia Astarín, who was a former uh, U-17 U.S. coach. And she's of Spanish descent. She just broke down everything this result could mean and would mean for for the sport in Spain. Okay, we've opened doors now. We we've like people are are in. They're they're putting their money on the women's national team. I hope it continues. I think it will. Uh the Vilda situation. Yeah, it sucks. And I get the position of some of the players who were you know a part of the you know the their what. Lack of a better term, a hit list. Yeah, that decided to um, that decided to come back to the national team because it's bigger than just one man. It's for the nation, mm -hmm. and you said it perfectly. It's uh, that's the bigger point here. It's not just him. It's not Jorge Vilda winning the World Cup. It's the Spanish winning the World Cup. 
it's growing the game in Spain. It's it, it's it's tough, but it's it can only go up. It can only go up. Sorry if I'm rambling, but like I, it's just a lot to take. Well, I think, and this is the thing, is that I think there are a lot of unanswered questions. We don't really think about how the game will grow somewhere or another when a men's team wins the World Cup. After Argentina won, everyone was like, about time. No one was like, imagine what this might do for the country and all this stuff. With with the women's game, it is in this point where as a launch pad, right, like just where it's at, the growth is so exponential year on year that you wonder like what is going to happen next. I think Spain, if they get their shit together in terms of like really having selection situations, not down to 15 players wanting to mutiny. If like they have it together, they've got they've got two of the biggest brands in world football who are more than happy to have quality teams. Real Madrid and Barcelona. I mean, Atleti are a good team as well in La Liga. And like those brands will continue to drive like the huge clubs. They will continue to drive things. The question Real Madrid becomes, in particular are just sorry to cut you off. Real Madrid in particular are just now putting into the women's team. They're just now putting. Yeah, in they, they're they're way behind Barcelona. Yeah, absolutely. Barcelona and Atleti are the two teams in Spain who have really you know been pillars for the sport. Real Madrid are just playing catch up, and they they had one of their own score of the game winning goal today. Yep. So. Yeah, they're uh they're a bit behind, but Barcelona, Atleti, you could even some other smaller clubs like Levante or uh, Villarreal, also. But, but you can see these a- team, you can see this this national team going to, I assume the World Cup. I, I or sorry, I assume the Olympics. I, I think they're going to the Olympics. Are they going to the Olympics? Whatever that. I uh, I, I, I need to do some research here on the women's Olympics and see nations what's going to happen with that. So there's Nations League first. That's how they qualify. Okay. Because I thought I remember that how you finished in the last Olympics would determine part of how you'd finish. In the, I, I don't know. Either way. No, it used to be. Got, <laughs> funny system. Yeah. It used to be top four finishers in the World Cup qualified. That's right. That's which right. Which is stupid. Yeah, it's dumb. But, you know, the, the women's tournament at the Olympics is not an under-23 tournament with, like, three older players. It's the full team, so that'll be interesting. And that's next year. And then the Euros yeah. will come, I believe, the following year. And then there's two years before Euro the World Cup. Euro is in 2020. Because 2021 ah. got postponed to 2022. That was the yes. thing. Um, so Yes, and it's going to be in Switzerland. Okay, yeah. So this is what I want to know is can Spain win another tournament in the next two or three and actually really stamp down or at least do what England have done, semifinal of the World Cup, final of the Euros, final of another World Cup. Uh, I think, you know, just a, a sustained a, a sustained dominance in a way, not necessarily winning all the time, being one of the top top teams. I think where they're at, they look like they will be. Um, they, they just look yeah. ahead of everybody else. And like I said, if they can just get everything together and make sure that they have, you know, things going in the right direction, this could be the torchbearer for the next five to 10 years in women's football in terms of this could be their cycle. If you want of, of like a five to five to eight year period of time. Um, it'd be really interesting so to the men's side of all wait to 2012. Yep. I mean, this is the thing about teams. Once you have a really, really good one and you have a lot of 
talent backing up. I mean, France went to the the French men when they went to the 2016 European final. They won the 2018 World Cup. Yeah, okay, the Euros in 2022, they went out in the quarterfinal, but then final of the next World Cup. And it's like, you know, you can see those cycles go with teams where they can be very good for a few tournaments in a row. And I think Spain has the opportunity to be, yeah, the best team in the world essentially for the next uh four to six years on the women's side. And um, I think that'd be interesting. How will they build from here? Yeah, man. It can only get better. It's the World Cup. You already have the pinnacle, but there's an Olympics coming up next year. Don't take your foot off the gas. You had to win the Nations League, or at least you had to be one of the Nations League group winners, I think. I don't know how specifically the qualification works. I just know the qualification is through Nations League. But yeah, it's... It... You, there's no, there's no way else to go but up for Spain. The the Olympics are next. The Euros right after that. Can you really stay up on your high horse? I think they can. I agree. Well, that I, look, I'm with you completely. That this was the best uh, women's World Cup I've ever seen. Like you said, the expanded field made you kind of wonder, especially when there was a 13 nil to open the last World Cup for the U.S. And yes, Vietnam were the team that took the biggest ass whooping. I think it was the 7-0 against the Netherlands. But overall, this was way better um, competitively. Yes. I thought the refereeing was interesting. I'll just uh, just say that I thought that it was incredible the types of fouls that were allowed to go unbooked at times. I mean, sometimes I was like, wow. I mean, they are letting everything how, go here. But hey, they wanted that the game kept going. How often do we see a referee officiate the semifinal and then the final of the same tournament? I don't know. I don't know if FIFA, if that's sort of how, I'm not sure. But I will also say, you know, it's pretty cool to see the Women's World Cup, to see all these, uh, uh, to see new things started. So I think the first instances of VAR at the World Cup were done in the Women's World Cup uh in 2019 i think it was when they really first used var at the world cup uh then here they did the first thing where the var where the uh, where the officials announced to the crowd like what the final result of the var decision was there's some new things that they brought in and i thought the it was cool to see these referees do what we're gonna be seeing in a lot of respects and and see the the evolution and, and honestly, I saw some good referees. I saw some that I was like, "Yo, this is like you got to make calls, or you're gonna lose this game. You're gonna totally shouts lose control." Shouts to Melissa. Shouts to Melissa Borjas of Honduras, the motherland, for sending off Lauren James. Oh yeah, yeah nice, there. nice. <laughs> no, but the refereeing has definitely been. It's been. It was good. Uh, I'm not gonna say it was the best ever. It was good. Uh, definitely, definitely, like you said, a lot of. Plays where you know a lot was allowed to you know pass by. Uh, the World Cup in itself was very innovative. It was revolutionary, and I think it lived up to the "Beyond Greatness" uh, slogan they used for the World Cup. I agree, um, man. I, it's it's kind of funny to think about like World Cup commercials and and sort of promos for this World Cup. It was hard to find much. Um, and we were blessed to see, I think it's interesting, actually, just because I want to mention this before we before we uh, close it out here. But 
Talk to we me. talked. We talked about the United States having their uh, that commercial that created bulletin board material is the U.S. against the world. Anyone who has not seen that, I'm not sure if that's even on YouTube anymore. You probably look for it, and it's just gone. Yeah. You know, except for reaction videos to it, maybe who knows? But if anyone hasn't seen it, the French also put out a similar, not a similar. They put out their own sort of promo video for the World Cup. If you don't, if you haven't seen it, it's it's really interesting. It's like they photoshopped the males faces on instead of the females so they, they kind of they not photoshopped they did really really high-end video editing yeah like to make it look reality. like Griezmann and and like Mbappe are scoring these goals and then what they then halfway through the commercial they show you actually no no it's not them here are the tricks we did and these are actually the women scoring these goals these are actually the women doing this and and, and everything it was kind of to show like yeah like you could it's also got some quality. It's also good. And I think that that actually was a commercial that was backed up where we got to see there were way fewer moments in this world cup for me of, Oh my goodness. Like that is, that just looks so like non-professional. The goalkeeping was better than I've ever seen it at this world cup. The technical ability of every single team involved, you could see that they were actual players, not just like, PE teachers who were like, you know, I mean, we made it, let's go, you know? And I think that what a massive step for the women's game to see that. And uh, I just thought that it was interesting, the dichotomy of those two commercials, the US, the US puts out one that's like, yeah, and no one can beat us. We're the best. Like this women's game is huge. We, we, you know, we fought for equal pay. We're the ones that get paid. We have all this and it doesn't work for them. And then you have this other commercial that's just about like, just take a look. You can enjoy this too. And I think that that was the right message. And, um, you know, I think it, it was uh, the World Cup really did like deliver. I think that this was, this would have been right. a far more exciting experience had it not been, you know, one, two, three, four a.m. kickoffs. Oh my God. But that's what you get with that area of the world. That's, that's being where we are. I hated that, man. Yeah, it was tough. <laughs> It's funny because, like, they scheduled some games with the hope that the U.S. would be playing in them. <laughs> Only for the U.S. They didn't finish second in the group. Like, Spain versus Netherlands quarterfinal started at 10 o'clock p.m. here in New York. That was doubly meant for the U.S. to play in that. Yep, yep. But here we are. The U.S. wasn't even at that point of the tournament. No, but uh, I love that French <sighs> commercial. I don't think we even we ever spoke about that. Not even on our, on our space, but... I loved that commercial. It was um, like you said, very well done. Yeah. You can enjoy the women's game too. They need your support as much as the men do. It def I definitely enjoyed that. I like Telemundo's bit as well where they highlighted players like Hermoso and uh, Caicedo and stuff like that. But I love that French commercial. The U.S. was, again, American exceptionalism personified. The arrogance was there. The France one was just, you know, Let's get behind these girls. Yep, and yeah. I, I I think it was just a great advert for the women's game. This it's it's gonna we're gonna see differences over time. We're definitely gonna see some some changes and and things go. And like um, I said, and like I said to start, for the most part, I is no longer the rest of the world is catching up. The rest of the world is caught up. Most of the rest of the world, at least. Right yeah, a hundred. Well, Europe one hundred percent is caught up, right? I, Europe one hundred percent. Seven of the eight quarterfinalists were European. Is that what it was? 
I think Colombia uh, was the only non-European quarter finalist, something like that. Colombia and Australia. Oh, Australia. That's right. Okay. I mean, but even that, Australia too. Like them, they themselves. Like, sure, you may have. I don't think them making it as far as they did was a fluke. I think the semifinal was appropriate. I didn't think they would win it, but the fact that they even got this far with a good team that, for the most part, did not rely on Sam Kerr. I Australia, I think they're up there now. They are up there, I think. And they could have beat U.S. for a bronze medal at the last Olympics, I think. So uh, Australia, I think they're up there. Some nations you've seen kind of regress, like uh, China, they've regressed a bit. Yeah, Norway, North Korea, sure. were, Norway, absolutely. Uh, Germany and Brazil, this this may be hiccups in the road. I think for At Germany, it's just a hiccup are. in the road. I think Germany were really – Germany were unlucky to go out. They really were. Like the, the game against Colombia could have gone either way. They lose with like the last header. I mean, if they don't lose with the last – one of the last he- plays, plays the game, the header – um, I mean, they, they they go through because they won their last game. It was just the fact that Morocco went and beat Colombia, who already had six points. That's the only reason. Morocco beating Colombia is the reason Germany really are out. Um, because essentially they, they did most of what they had to do. They, you know, they just, it just, yeah, it just didn't work out for them. Brazil, Brazil had to find a way to replace Marta. Well, they've they just got to, yeah, there's just got to be, in, the new generation of players has to stick, has to stand up. Um, and I, I think and that some of them happen. are, yeah, some of them are like some of them were on this national team. Like I've said many a time, I love Bruninha in a, in a back line. She's a solid defender. Like she has a capability to like, to make a world legend, like a Sophia Jakobsen, you know, like shiver her timbers, I guess. Uh, she's a good defender. It's just like, uh, Borges, the one who had a hat trick. Yep. Uh, again, like, some of these players are really, really good. They're just, like you said, the rest of the youth movement in Brazil has to stand up. Uh, That's why I think for Brazil is also a bump in the road. And you could say the same for Canada to an extent. Yeah, I'd say so. I mean, Canada's in a weird position. We know about their their federations in a whole at the moment, both men's and women's side. Um, Yeah, I mean... Just so many positive stories overall, I think, that it's, it's a... You know anything that left a small sour taste in your mouth, you can wash out with some with some punch because there was a lot of good stuff to, at this World Cup, and I I'm glad for uh, the U.S. team they got a little bit of a wake up call, um, and you know a little bit, yeah, no, a I lot mean, of it, but yes. yeah, but also I think you know it's a team that's gonna they're gonna change. There's so much talent in this country; it's not gonna stop. There's gonna be good players. Um, Right, and I, right. I, I think it'll be it'll it's cool that the rest of the world is caught up now because now who's your quarterfinalists at every World Cup? Like now you really have to ask yourself these questions. It's getting similar to the men's side where you just don't know. And I think that's what makes it, you know, especially in this format. I hope the Women's World Cup does not expand to 48 teams anytime soon because the next Let's face it, everyone. Twenty twenty six is going to be an epic mess. It's going to be so many games. It's going to be insane. It might be fun. It might. Well, it's going to be fun because the World Cup's always good, but it might be complete chaos. Just like total chaos in terms of keeping up with what's going on. Stories happening too fast to stick with and settle on. I don't know. It might just be a little bit over the top, but this was a fantastic 
uh, tournament. Obviously, our time zones were not the best for it, but hey, you can't blame you can't blame the host for where they are. You know, so that's not not their fault. Um, yep. Do you have any Do you have any closing statements on on any of any of it? Anything? Um. First things first, uh, Fuerza Olga Carmona. Uh, crazy how you're going to go from the highest of highs to the lowest of lows in less than 24 hours, in less than 12 hours. Um, yeah. I, I love the – I am happy at where the women's game is, and I can't wait to see the game grow. And uh, I'm glad we are doing our parts in that. And – Whereas some people would do, would just you know cover the women's game as as virtual sig, virtue signaling, whereas others like our like ourselves, we are actually into into the sport. We it's it's football at the end of the day. We give a fuck. Um, I I can't wait to see where we go from here. Uh, I'm looking forward to the Olympics, the next Euros, the next. World Cup, it's going to be fun. Uh, we're in a good place in the women's game now than what we were when we first started the tournament. You know, it's funny you just mentioned the Olympics, looking forward to it, and I was like, yeah, am I? And then I realized why that was my initial thought. Because I just thought, what were the last Olympics like? They were those empty-ass Tokyo Olympics <laughs> with just like these games that felt like they had zero I mean, you know, it was COVID football. It was no one in the crowds. Um, the the vault. The, it was interesting to hear, you know, the benches and the you know players in the field talk. But it was, it was terrible television. It was and this is coming off of, and this is coming off a of Euro in the same summer that had some type of crowd. Yeah, I know, right? Um, but so look, like the... I know well Japan was Japan was yeah a little bit different right um but overall I think that'll be great the Olympics coming back um they'll be in Paris so in Paris yes and so that that'll be you know I'm sure I, I would imagine France will do a slightly better job this time of promoting the women's team um especially if they you know I mean it's a great chance for the French women to get on the board they don't have any title in in um they have zero titles in in women's football history. So for France next year, that's a big deal. Obviously, for the U.S. to make a comeback, England to try and get a, a lot. Look how many. Think of how many teams next year's Olympics is a major, major, major event for. It's a major Not time England. to prove a point. Not England, Great Britain. Oh, that's right. Correct. Great Britain will be the Olympic, and so that'll be interesting, right? How they fare, but you know, can Spain follow it up? Can they can they really assert themselves? Do you know? Do, do we get a random sort of surprise winner, kind of like Canada at the last ones? I know they deserved it, but they were definitely a surprise winner. Um, does anyone else surprise? Does it, you know? I, I think it's going to be really cool to see. So, I want to see Barbara Banda again. Uh, yeah, I know, and, and actually, oh, Zambia. I, I really, I had a, little, I had higher hopes for Zambia at this World Cup, but also they were in a group that was going to be brutal for them i mean spain and japan were lethal in the group stage so um ronnie what um where where to find you guys right you're just what you're one third of the footy misfits tell the people where to find you because uh we we are we are i'd say tight tight show friends at this point we have uh been on each other's program oh, multiple times are. we're we're 
you know, full on. The only thing that's left point. is absolutely. The only thing that's left is for us to go to Colorado or for you to come to New York. That's the only thing that's left at this point. Yeah, yeah, and do and we uh, got to do a live show in person. It's yeah. We have to. We we definitely have to. We are, we would definitely be down at Footy Misfits on all the social platforms. Definitely more active on Instagram and uh, the Football Misfits podcast on uh, Spotify, Apple, wherever you listen to the podcasts. Uh, we did take a little bit of a break because we're pouring into our women's footy content. But come next Sunday, we're going to record a new up. And uh, yeah, back to the club game. Putting all of our time and uh, our time into that. Uh, the Champions League is less than a month away. And uh, the women's season should be beginning in about a month or two. So find us at the Footy, at Footy Misfits on uh, socials and the Football Misfits podcast, wherever you listen. Boom, pow. And next time, I will make sure, whether it's our space or yours, all three of us will be there. Not just I, me. I mean, it's, all, it's always a challenge to get, like, a group of four people in different places to get on a, to get on a, a call. But we have done it before. We will do it again. And, uh, yeah, no, really just a huge shout-out to you guys because um, there are not very many channels that cover the wide extents of football, and Footy Misfits cover literally everything. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of people who took a break uh, during the Women's World Cup and were like, good, I don't need to do anything for the next couple weeks. And uh, I've actually now – I've been writing up my uh, – what I'm going to do for the – uh, the start of the Premier League. I've got six questions for the Premier League season that I'm currently uh, putting together. So yeah, it's a quick turnaround, as you said. We've got to jump on it. Ange Postacoglu will get Spurs to top four. Boom! I said it. Yeah one one of my one of my points is the the evolution of Spurs. You know, I mean Harry Kane leaving the club. It's it's a very very interesting time for Spurs. And um, I mean, look. Also, I mean, with the Women's Super League, like, you know, we've talked about the women's game so much here. The, the Women's Super League, I think, is going to be fascinating. Are there going to be teams going and breaking the bank for, uh, you know, big stars and really supercharging that league? You know, they, they, you know, an English team wants to win the Champions League. How are they going to make that happen? How can they defeat, you know, Barcelona and, and you know, Wolfsburg and Bayern Munich, who seem to always be quite good. But this is, this is the thing. The beautiful game is rolling on Footy Misfits have you covered on so many topics. You just you got got to check check them out. Please yeah, do. Yeah, both stuff. And uh, obviously, there's always crossovers there. So it is Sunday, August twentieth. The Women's World Cup is over. On to the next one. Peace and love, everybody. Hey, adios, mi gente.